Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every franchise tie-in, B-tier superhero, overworked butler, and fandom resurrected G-man is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Mandy. And I'm Michael. And today we're talking about Marvel TV shows. Yay. Uh, To be clear, I think we're talking about all the Marvel TV shows from recent years, which are connected in some way to the uh, movie, the the cinematic universe, the MCU. We will not be talking about... The old Hulk, sh- Hulk show is what you're saying. Yeah. Or uh, the old Spider-Man show, which I vaguely remember being terrible. Wait, a live action one? Yeah. There was a live action Spider-Man show? Yeah. I. The only thing I remember is vaguely seeing it once open up. And I only saw a few minutes of it, but I saw that like Spider-Man's blood got spilled somewhere. And some scientist character, I don't remember which one, grabbed his blood and cloned him and therefore discovered that he was Peter Parker. Wow. Yeah. This was all in the, in like a, an 80s, I think, 80s uh, live action show. So, Well, yeah. we will definitely not be talking about the many, <laughs> many cartoons Marvel has put out. So this is all live action, more recent direct tie-ins to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Uh, and because we have a bunch of shows and we're going to want to talk about the future of this franchise, we're going to talk about each show pretty quickly. Um, so... Uh, there will be spoilers all over the place, but we're not going to go into in-depth detail like we normally do when we go on to a particular topic for an entire episode, uh, and we'll kind of move from one to the next. Um, the rough order of the main shows, just to give an idea of what we're going to be talking about, um, there's uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones, uh, and then afterwards we'll talk about what's coming next. But those four kind of all uh, provide us, they all provide some connections and to the movies and to each other. Um, so we'll, we'll start talking off, uh, talking about those in order. And I can't make promises, but if you're reading this, check the, uh, or if you, excuse me, if you're listening to this, <laughs> check the uh, show notes, because I will try to put chapters into this particular episode. Um, most of the time I don't bother because our Our podcast episodes don't really lend itself towards that, but I'll try to do it to kind of segment the show based on it. So if you want to skip us talking about one particular show to go to another one, I will try to make that happen. Um, Yeah. So, uh, Mandy, do you want to start us off with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I guess the thing to say when starting out with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is I recognize that I am completely 100% biased when talking about this show because I love Phil Coulson. <laughs> uh, well, how can you not love Phil Coulson though? I, I think, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I, uh, you know, came into Marvel right when the Avengers came out. Um, I had seen Captain America and Iron Man before that, but I hadn't seen everything. Um, and I actually went to a Marvel marathon, um, saw all the movies and, you know, so and then basically entered Marvel fandom right at the height of the Coulson Lives movement, which uh, is the movement that resurrected Phil Coulson, which I believe is unheard of. In Well, not unheard of, because I guess Sherlock fandom resurrected Sherlock way back in the day. Um, <laughs> but it was a... I think the difference was that makes Phil Coulson interesting is it wasn't so much that fandom resurrected him. It was that fandom refused to acknowledge Phil Coulson was dead. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it seemed a lot like some of the stuff that happens on a much, 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 much smaller scale in comic books, except that in comic books, people come back all the time, and they'll never be gone for long, so it's really not that big a deal. 
Whereas in this is very much a, as with, you know, is true of the live action universe in general, because actual actors get older, you could just kill them off and they can actually be gone. So... Um, right. And, and for this, it was, it was that, uh, you know, Nick Fury is untrustworthy. Uh, you know, why would someone be carrying around their cards in their jacket? And Maria Hill makes a point of saying, like, weren't those in his locker? You know, uh, there were a lot in the movie that just kind of pointed whether they intended it or not, which I think the moral was they did not intend it, uh, that made it seem like Phil Coulson wasn't dead. And so there was a huge push in fandom. And out of that, we got the show. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for better or for worse. So uh, let's roll right into that. Uh, do you think it's for better or for worse? <laughs> oh, that is such a complicated question. Um, I, you, I'm mixed. I'm a mixed bag, bag of this, because I'm not going to say any show that gives me more Phil Coulson is a bad thing, and I'm certainly not going to say the show that gave me Bobby Morse is a bad thing. Uh, but there are definitely times... Where I'm just like, man, I wish, you know, sometimes we'd let sleeping dogs lie. That said, I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's just when I put on my more critical glasses sometimes, um, there's just different things that have to do with the fact that the movies kind of refuse to acknowledge the TV shows, even though the TV shows are forced to acknowledge the movies, that I think really hamper Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. more than any other Marvel TV show. Right. And there's a couple of things in there, though. I mean, one, it's way easier to ask people who are committed to entire shows to watch a few movies than vice versa. Uh, just the sheer time commitment, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work quite as well in the opposite direction. Um, but also just the weird, the, the weird acrobatics that they've, re- especially early on, that they required Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to go to in order to serve the movies without really any payoff in the opposite direction. It's kind of weird. I mean, it really hindered the first half of the first season. It, it extremely hindered it. And I know so many people who gave up on that sh- on the show basically at the Christmas break because after a full semester of it, they were like, what's the point of this show? Um, and of course, everyone who stuck around, the payoff was immense after yes. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That was some of the best TV I'd seen in a long time. Um, but uh, there are... There's so many times now watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that, you know, you can tell it's setting up for a movie. You can tell they don't know how to quite handle the movie. And you can t- that, and when you're watching the movies and you've been watching the show, um, I don't think we mentioned this in the Civil War podcast, but how can you have Civil War in the same universe where all of these Inhumans are running around and not even acknowledge it? Yeah. Uh, it makes it really hard sometimes to stretch your suspension of disbelief. And it's not a fault of the show uh, in the sense that it's not the show's fault the movies exist. It's not the show's fault they're forced to tie in with these movies. But, man, it's super hampered the show at different times. Yeah. Um, speaking of the general quality of the show, like you said, it did pick up pretty well once they got past that initial uh, bump. But the show has still been pretty mixed. Uh, it goes sort of swings wildly in terms of quality. Um, the quality of the characters themselves, I mean, I really like some of the characters, but some a lot of the time they're just really, really inconsistent in weird ways. Um, and, I mean, there are little things like uh, the main character, basically. I want to like her, and sometimes I do, and then sometimes I hate her. and And it's just... They, they. It's weird because like she's always conflicted in some way, almost, but she's almost always wrong in a lot of ways. 
And I, I don't know. It just seems like people could be a lot more sensible as characters than they are. <coughs> I, I completely agree. And I think a lot of the struggle with that is um, Phil Coulson and Sky slash Daisy's relationship. Um, you know, Phil is not unbiased when it comes to her. And it gets even more obvious throughout the third season. Um, and I think the third season ends on a note that indicates that Phil Coulson is no longer director of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, though that's still kind of ambiguous at this point. Uh, and I really think Phil Coulson works better when he's not director, because as director, he he is just too emotionally compromised. And that's part of why, I mean, I love Phil Coulson. Like, I, I don't know if I've expressed this enough, but Phil Coulson is one half of my OTP, which is one true pair, for those of you who don't know. So, um, you know, my, my devotion to Phil Coulson and the amount of time I've spent thinking about Phil Coulson is probably unnatural. Um, but uh, he works better as a, uh, I think, a leader of a team than a leader of an organization at S.H.I.E.L.D.'s level. Because watching him lead S.H.I.E.L.D. in the third season really made me uh, have to recognize Phil Coulson's faults as a person. Well, and I think that what you said about him being too emotional or too, too emotionally involved in, or compromised, rather. And that's the thing is he his emotions are what part of what make him so good. Yes. Like they, it's what makes us like him so much. It's what make him a good person. Um, it's what makes and, him able to be someone that so many people have been able to connect to Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton as someone who'd be able to connect and lead them when they were part of shield, you know, uh, and just be a good agent of shield who could work with someone like Nick Fury or, you know, even his misfit team at the beginning of uh, the first season. Uh, that, that is the Phil Coulson and, you know, at his peak. And yeah, as director of shield, he made way too many compromises for, the Daisy Sky character who, depending, we'll refer to her differently depending on the seasons like we're talking about um, because in different seasons she goes by different names. Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about generally the bad guy arcs in the show? So I have to say, uh, Ward, as a good guy, was just so plain vanilla. And yes. it's not that I didn't like him. It was just like, wow, he could be anyone. Uh, and him being revealed as a bad guy was probably not a great twist in the sense that it was so shocking, but just a great twist in what it's done for his character. Um, evil Ward is so much better than Good Ward. Um, I agree totally. I, I think he was a great villain and that he was great to hate, basically. Yes, yes. Um, that said, the first season was really wobbly, um, especially pre-Civil War, because they couldn't say Hydra. Right. Um, and instead, they made up this other organization. Um, <coughs> sorry, I still have a cough. That uh, What were they calling it? Centipede or something like that? Something like that, yeah. And um, it was just not compelling. <laughs> And uh, I, I think they made a huge mistake by making up a new organization. And I honestly think the better way to go, no one consulted me, but I think what they should have done was uh, used AIM, uh, Advanced Idea Mechanics, because Iron Man 3 came out the May before the show started. And uh, while uh, the head of AIM was killed, it would have been feasible to have the show be trying to mop up AIM. And then you realize that the whole Hydra twist, it could have all gone to better together more and would have helped, I think, the viewers be grounded more in something they were familiar with. Because this whole centipede thing, I think, was just too... It was too left field. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, no, I agree totally. Um, and it, again, it, it I mean, it, the funny thing is, until I was looking back over details for the first season for us talking about it, I had forgotten about yep. Centipede, like because Hydra's it's the so, bad guy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it was so hard, I think, for people because they had to draw it out, not just for half a season, but for like three quarters of a season yeah. uh, before the Hydra reveal. Granted, the Hydra reveal was so satisfying um, for the show. It was amazing. Uh, but, man, it took a while to get there. And then season two, I'm trying to even remember who the bad guys in season two were. Oh, what? was it the Inhumans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the whole Inhumans arc where we got to where we started season three. So, um, yes. Right. Uh, it, and it was S.H.I.E.L.D. Then, and then, still existed. That's right. There were, like, multiple factions of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, because right. that was uh, post-Winter Soldier. Oh, Commander yeah. Adama, I, or I, I can't remember what his actual, <laughs> what his Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. name is, but the other yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. leader. I called him Adama, too. And that's where we got Bobby Morse from, whom I love. Uh, She's so good. But then I have to talk about who I call Diet Hawkeye, which is <laughs> Lance Hunter, who is so obviously Hawkeye. They can't have Hawkeye in the show because Hawkeye's in the movies. And Hawkeye in the movies is a very different Hawkeye than Hawkeye from the comics, as we talked about in our Hawkeye podcast. Lance Hunter is nothing more than Hawkeye, um, but without a bow and arrow and with a British accent. Uh, it is... It frustrates well, he's a little me. goofier than the uh, than the movie Hawkeye. No, I, he's completely different from movie Hawkeye. I mean, he's yeah. comics Hawkeye. Yes, yeah, okay. Uh, and it frustrates me because I see his story arcs and I see how he's being written in in his relationship with Bobby and his relationship with Phil and his relationship with other characters. And I'm like, that is Hawkeye. And it, it's just not satisfying enough for me because he's not Hawkeye. Uh, I mean... <sighs> Lance is a little weird to me. It's almost like he's a a proxy for us, except that I can't really identify with him because I don't feel like I've ever been that consistently messing things up <laughs> on all fronts. So like like even when I feel like I'm goof like messing on everything, it's like it's never quite that bad. Like he's just always walking into things, setting off traps. But that's so know. Hawkeye. No, it is. It totally is. Um but yeah, it, it just really frustrates me that he's not Hawkeye. That the sh- it, You can tell that the show writers want Hawkeye, but they can't have him, so they made up a Hawkeye. And in fact, the I don't know if you've been reading the Mockingbird comic. Uh, I have not. But they make fun of this uh, okay. because they, they wrote Lance Hunter into the comic, but Mockingbird basically says, like, yes, I have a type, and basically points out that they are the exact same character. That's um, great. And so, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten to like him. Uh, I mean, because I love Hawkeye, so, like, obviously I would like him, but it, it's just a little grating for me. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, – one of my favorite characters is Mac. Um, uh, I love Mac. Just He's just such a lovable, like, I'm going to do the right thing. He's Sometimes I disagree with him, but it's like you can clearly understand exactly why he thinks what he does, and he has re- good reason to, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, yeah, so I like him a lot. Um, what was the name of the guy we lost? At the end of season two. At the end of season two or at the end of season three? Season two, the one who uh, started to transform into an inhuman and didn't, got exposed to the, the gas. Oh, Trip? Yes, there we go. Trip. Yeah, um, I love Trip, but he got wrote, wrote off, written off the show for personal reasons, I think, because he got a job okay. at another show. Um, gotcha. 
but yeah, he died. He he was great. I really liked him, but they didn't really do much with his character because he was committed to another show at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Lincoln. <coughs> I, I hate I'm Lincoln. Not sure. I yeah, hate him so much. I don't think they know what they're doing with Lincoln. He's just kind of not a wild card, not really consistent in any way. He's just kind of aggravating. I think this um, goes back to they don't know what to do with Sky. Yes, yeah. Because uh, they keep trying to force these love interests on her that do not work. Uh, first off, it's not that the Ward thing didn't work. It's that Ward is evil. So, right. you know, you couldn't go anywhere for that. But I thought that was a natural progression that she kind of liked him. And then, oh, no, he's evil. You can't like him anymore. But then they were like, oh, Skies are, you know, audience insert. She obviously needs a love interest. Let's give her Lincoln. And it just felt so forced and so unnecessary and so weird and a little bit it's, scary. Because she doesn't need a, a romantic interest. You could no. totally have it where Ward was the only one. And that, I mean, they... They've addressed that aspect really well, the feeling of betrayal, the stuff with Hive kind of building on that, you know. They did a really good job of that. If that's the only romantic thing she had for several seasons, that would be totally fine. And then you just have her building these awesome platonic relationships with people and then being thrust into leadership roles. And how does that, ba- like, you know, how does that com- Her struggle with things? her powers and her family. She she doesn't need a love interest. She has more than enough going on in her life. Exactly. Um, so... I don't feel like it's the fault of the actor. I feel like he does a fine job. It's just they send him in way too many different directions because they're trying to make him somehow an adequate foil for Sky, and he's just. But he's not. written so weirdly, and his opinions are so strange, and yeah. I just can't agree with anything he says. Like when I disagree with Sky, I am at least like I see her point. I understand her as a character. When I disagree with Lincoln, I'm like. What's wrong Dude, with you? Why don't you think anything through? Right. You know, it's with Sky, it's very much a, okay, I think you're wrong and I think you're being a little overly emotional, but I totally understand why the emotion's hitting you so hard. Right. I totally understand why you're reacting this strongly. With Lincoln, it's like, dude, just no. <laughs> and Stop I felt it. like her relationship with Lincoln made her seem too easily manipulated. Uh, yeah. Because she was so obvious. Not that Lincoln was like actively, evilly manipulating her, but so many of her opinions and stuff were changing because of Lincoln that it just did not. I, I don't know. I feel like Sky uh, slash Daisy is a stronger character than that, just based off of her season two story arc of dealing with her parents. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, I, I think you're right, and that the the influence that sh- that. Lincoln has over Sky serves to diminish some of the impact that w- that uh, Hive's influence on her should have. Right. You know. Right. Like that should be a really, really big deal, and it should be obvious to us that it's a big deal. You know, and and it is, but at the same time, it would be that much more impactful if she wasn't switching her mind all the time. You know. Yeah. But um, also, I don't know how we've made it this far into talking about Agents of Shield, and we haven't talked about Fitzsimmons. Well, I was specifically keeping them. for for last because uh, they're my favorites. On well, the okay, so we keep them for last. Let's talk about Agent May. Yes. <laughs> uh, who I love. Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think she would be a better a- a leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. than Coulson. I agree. She is more capable. Uh, if anything, her story arc with her husband shows she's more capable of, while having emotion, being able to set it aside for the betterment of S.H.I.E.L.D. and being able to work a side project to try to save her husband in a way that doesn't harm everyone else. Whereas Phil is more like, let's all go rescue Daisy. And you're like, you just put all of S.H.I.E.L.D. in danger. Yeah, no, that's spot on. Like, she will not sacrifice everything for the sake of one person, but she is still determined to bring people back. I mean, she is super loyal to Coulson. She's super loyal to S.H.I.E.L.D. 
She will do things to undermine Coulson for the sake for his own and the organization's best interests. Like, you know, she's always got kind of the big picture in mind to some degree or another. And I, I think she would be a great stand-in director. Um, and yeah, I I think that uh, it's she's probably the most one of the most consistent characters. She yeah. and uh, who else? She and maybe Bobby, like. Because Bobby's, Bobby's pretty consistent. Too. So, like, the two of them <laughs> seem to be very consistent as far as characters go. I mean, we haven't gotten to Fitzsimmons yet, but I feel right. like their characters are consistent, but they've changed because they've changed. Right. Um, as opposed to changing because the writers don't understand the characters. Yes. Um, but Bobby, I, and I feel like Bobby and uh, May both kind of represent in their own way, like, what S.H.I.E.L.D. was. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um I feel like Coulson is what we all wish Shield was in that he's super emotional and like has everybody's best interests at heart. But I feel like when it comes down to it, Shield was never uh, you know, there for individual best interests, right? right. Shield is the betterment of all and to like make sure the earth is secure from supernatural powers basically. Right. <laughs> um yeah, I so I think yeah, May would do very well. Uh of course it would be a big you know, a big deal if she were, say, director, because suddenly you don't have the cavalry as an actual, uh, as an asset nearly as often, and she's super... But she doesn't actually that. want to go into the field, so... Right. So it would suit her net. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's maybe, you know, that's the cost, though, is just you lose her in the field, because she doesn't want to, but she's willing to do it because she knows she's an asset there. Right. But then when you have someone like Bobby, who can essentially for the most part, take her place in the field. I mean, she's not quite her equal. Yeah, but, but Bobby's gone there. from the show now. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's painful. I uh, I hated that episode. But I, I mean, I I hated what it meant for the show, but I was totally <laughs> teary-eyed and loved how it made me feel <laughs> in terms of just, like, emotions. Yeah. But um, While oof. we're talking about May, I, I really love um, how May had, like, mentors the other characters under her. Like, not in the same, like, emotional way uh, that, you know, Phil does. Uh, but, you know, she's there for Sky and Simmons and Bobby in her own way, right? And sometimes it's Absolutely. a gruff way and sometimes it's a hard truth way. But, like, I, I really just love seeing that older woman mentoring younger women, especially since Agent May, as played by uh, Ming-Wei Na, is actually an older woman. Uh, she's, yeah. like, 50-plus. Uh, so... It's not often you see that uh, in shows. And it's not often that the two leaders, Coulson and May, I feel like in many ways their roles are kind of reversed from the stereotype, right? I feel like in many ways Coulson is the mother of the team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and May is the father. I, I wouldn't just say in some ways. I would say pretty much across the board. That is absolutely the, kind of the emotional resonance each of them have with the team. Uh, people look to May when they want like the hard answer and guidance and they go to Colson when they're like, when, you know, they're trying to find their way in some, you know, in a, in kind of the, the softer aspects. I mean, I think that's what people go to them for. And I think that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, she is a great character. Um, I, I would love to see her take on directorship. I'm hoping that's the implication of the end of the last season. I, but, I'm hoping to, but I don't want to get my hopes up too high because they could go any number of directions. And right. I want to continue enjoying it instead of just being frustrated. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess we can talk a little bit more about 
Bobby and then what happened with her and Lance. So <sighs> a moment of silence for, for Bobby. <laughs> uh, so what happened is they got written off the show yes. uh, because they were going to have a spinoff uh, that never took off. Uh, so I just think it was a horrible mistake uh, because you, they shouldn't have written them off the show then and in that way until they knew 100% for sure they were getting a spinoff because Bobby is so, so great. I, she's such a great character. I love Mockingbird so much. I also want to say that canonically, Bobby Morse is a Georgia Tech graduate. And, you know, so are Michael and I. So, uh, yeah, represent. Um, <laughs> but now she's gone. Uh, and it was just... The way it was done, I felt like in the it didn't make sense. Uh, it was emotional, but I felt like it was unnecessarily emotional. I didn't buy the rationale why no one could ever contact her again, because theoretically, some of these people were also former Shield agents, and if you were once an agent of Shield, you might still be friends with Shield agents, and that doesn't mean you're all secretly Shield agents still. Um, yeah. No, but they made it seem like they could never even be friends again. They had to. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, Michael and I don't work together, and we have a podcast. Like, yeah, it, it's a little weird. I, I, it's it's super frustrating. I I also just even if you did have a spinoff, why would you have to write them out so decisively? I don't know. Just have them like you're like, hey, you know, we think we're gone, done with Shield for now. We're gonna kind of go off and do our own thing, and that's that. You know, like, like have it be a begrudging, respectful goodbye, and they're gone. Or like, you know, you know like, Lance gets hurt, and they she has to, she wants to go take care of him for a little bit, and so they're out for a couple of episodes, and then if the spinoff takes off, then they just kind of like retire and go off and do their own thing. And if the spinoff doesn't take off, they come back. Or, I mean, you can even say, like, hey, she she's decided for the first time she's going to prioritize, because that has been a thread in the show. Like, she's actually going to prioritize him over her right. job, right. you know? And you go and do that thing. And then if the spinoff doesn't take off, hey, they both agreed together to come back. Like, he decided he wanted them to come back. Right, because so that's also part of his story arc, right, is that he didn't feel like a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So right. then if they both decided to come back together as a couple, as devoted to S.H.I.E.L.D., that would have been a natural progression of their story instead of this extremely de- decisive, like, we can never even talk to them again. Yeah. That, so, and, uh, just Adrian Padalecki is great as Bobby, and she's just going to be sorely missed, like... I think you said the last name of one of the guys from, I did. Uh, from Supernatural. I Pal- Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, she did date that guy in Supernatural. So... That's true. You know, she, she played the girlfriend. And died in the first episode. Yeah. Um, anyways. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, going on to the best two characters. Well, in your opinion. <laughs> I, I, they're not actually the best two characters, but they're some of my favorite characters just yeah. because of... Uh, Fitzsimmons. Man, um, they get tortured so much by the writers. It's like you just want them to be happy. I like, just, just want like, a season of them dating and like being happy. Can they not? Ha- there is no reason that every single character in the entire show has to have intense drama. Like they have Fitz the Simmons, most intense drama. They have the most intense drama in every season. I feel like, like I, I mean, from. Fitzsimmons, of course, they're just doing the thing where they dodge around each other emotionally. And then, I mean, how many times have one or the other of them seemingly died? Um, And how many times, and then Fitz has gone like partially brain dead. And uh, uh, I just, man, 
It's and so... I will say, when the show started, I was so not on board the Fitzsimmons ship. Like, I just wanted them to remain friends, and I really wanted to see, like, a strong platonic relationship. But as the show has gone, it has gotten me so on board that when they finally kissed, I was just like, yes! Yes! They're they finally did together! They good job of fighting. Because early on, I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, no, they don't need to be together. I know everybody's shipping them, but they're just, they're just friends who get each other and so on. But then it's very clear, like, no, they care about each other like nobody else does. It is- I mean, after his brain damage and, like, Gemma leaving because she had to because he was using her as a crutch. And then, like, you know, they come back and they're okay. And then she gets sucked away to another planet. And then he spends, like, all this time trying to save her when nobody else believes she can come back. Uh, it's just, it's just, like, epic. They need to be together and they... Sh- they need to just let them be together in season four. And I haven't yeah. seen anything about it, but I have no hope that they will actually let them. I, I just think it, it's time for someone else to have a little drama in their lives. That's not Fitzsimmons. So yes, agree. Let, let them just do their science. And if they have drama, it's like mission drama, not like one of them getting brain damage or sucked away to another planet. Yeah. Yeah. Man. But I love Anyways. Fitzsimmons. Yeah, I love Fitzsimmons. I love all the stuff they do, the science stuff they come up with. I like that I disagree with Simmons a lot of the time. She tends to be very uh, authoritarian sometimes in her views a lot of the time, but then comes back around when it's dealing with actual people. I mean, but um, I think that it, it all makes complete sense for they're written very consistently. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, very consistently. They totally make sense. They've changed their views have changed. I I love I just I love that you can follow their trains of thought. And I also them. have to say that they gave Fitz the best explanation of time travel I've ever seen on TV. Like when he drew the line on the book and showed how time is a line and like that that the, there's more but you can't see. And I was like that just like because he was like you can't change time, you know. And everybody was like yeah, maybe yeah, you yeah. can change it. And I was like that is the best like TV description of time travel I have ever seen. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, they do a good job, I think, in general, when he is explaining things to the layman around him. He does a—I think they generally let him do a really good job of that. Yeah. Um, and Simmons leaves him the explaining up to him, too, because that's not her strength. Right. And, uh, and that's really great, especially when he was struggling with his brain damage and so on. Uh, just a really good job, I think. I, I also have to say I really love Simmons and Skye's relationship. Um, it's it's yes. more subtle than, you know, Fitzsimmons or Sky Coulson, uh, but it's there. And, uh, you know, at the end, like when, um, not the end, but like when Ward came back on base and Simmons was basically like, I will kill you if you talk to Skye. Uh, and, and it was just so great. Um, you know, any, anytime I get to see women being friends uh, and, and it supportive. doesn't center around male relationships that they talk yes. about. Yes. yes. And they're not catty, you know, they're like, they're good at different things and, you know, that's what they do. And it's just, it's so great. And that's a big thing is the show passes the Bechdel test a lot. Yes. Um, and props to it for that. So, yes. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. other than that I'm pretty invested in continuing to watch it. Um, and I hope that it gets more consistently good instead of just being all over the place. I was super sad when they killed off Coulson's girlfriend, not the celloist cause I hated her and that's a rant for another time. Uh, <laughs> but the one in season three, she was so great. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I'm interested to see, it's really weird of course, to see some of the stuff at the scale that was happening in season three and it not addressed in the movies. Um, I mean, that and to see them take civil war. So like 
there was no mention in the Civil War movie of superhero registration, uh, but the show took it there. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what? Where are you getting this from? And then they kind of dropped it, and it was just very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So any any other comments or thoughts before we move from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I love Phil Coulson, and I'm really glad the show has been renewed. And <laughs> I maintain hope even in the face of bad episodes. Cool. So going from the show that has been renewed onto one that hasn't. Agent Carter. It hurts me because they killed Agent Carter twice in the same week. They killed Agent her Carter. in Civil War the movie, and then they killed her show. Is and it, clearly the best of the in my mind the best of the Netflix or excuse me the best of the Marvel shows. Um, I love Agent Carter so much. It's uh, so good. It does so much right from beginning to end, so consistently, and I think that. Its failure as a show is damning of TV audiences. I, um. I think not only that, but I do think season two had some failings um, that we can address. Sure. But it, it's just like, what? who decided this show was a failure? You know, like... I, ratings, and that's it. Just ratings. It did not have enough people watching it, which is why I blame the audiences, not the people who are making it. They gave it, I think, an adequate shot. Like, these two seasons, they did a great job. They aired things in order. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> Sorry, made me laugh, um, I, cough. <laughs> I think they actually promoted it remarkably well, considering, you know, and um, considering that Agent Carter is not really a character anybody knows about. Hey, I love Agent uh, Carter. I, I do too. But nobody outside of, you know, nerds know, really know who she was. So I think I as many as often as I am willing to blame studios and stuff on a lot of things, I cannot blame this on any anything other than audiences just not realizing what an you know, amazing and I loved was. how you know with the actors, so many movie actors are not willing to be in TV shows, but Haley Atwell and um, oh, I can't remember Howard Stark's name, um, Dominic Cooper, something like that. Uh, they were so on board with coming back for this show and that just makes me so happy and uh also i have a secret deep love of chad michael murray uh so there was <laughs> nothing i was not supporting in this show other than chad michael murray plays a pretty bad like not a bad character like in the sense that he's written badly but like he's chauvinistic yes yeah uh so oh, yeah. but and season one was so great it was such a great show. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it pains me to be talking about the show in the past tense. I, <laughs> but so let's just start. I mean, of okay, course, so the, Peggy Carter. Uh, go ahead. The first thing I love about this show is that this show fridged Steve Rogers for Peggy Carter's development. I mean, I know that's not why Steve Rogers died, right? But that's the, the trope of fridging a woman for a man's development is pretty standard, right? Yeah. But this show was the opposite in that Steve Rogers died, and that's what made Peggy not, – not that Peggy wasn't always going further, but that's, like, what propels the plot of the first season, right? And it's just such a great trope reversal and also ironic because Steve was almost literally fridged since he landed <laughs> in the Arctic. Uh, and just, like, the sadness that, that 
pulls down that first season. But it's also not just Peggy's sadness. I could talk forever about Howard Stark's love of Steve Rogers um, and just how like the two of them that bringing them together, but also how that was so central to the conflict resolution for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, because Steve was such an important part of their lives and there was no way to get around that in the show and having, you know, Steve Rogers be the equivalent to this show that the mom is in supernatural was just like brilliant. It, it was done so, so well. Uh, the fact that they also don't lean on flashbacks with Steve Rogers, they don't, I, it just, it makes his memory as a character rather than him being one. And I, I like right, that. Chris or, Evans is never in the show. Yeah, and that's fantastic. I, I think it's they're not leaning on that star power, and I think that's a great thing, and it really betters the show. Um, but also, just everyone does such a great job. Haley Atwell is fantastic as Peggy. Uh, Jarvis is fantastic. He's just so entertaining all the time. I love um, having like a period spy drama, you know, and all the like really cheesy 1940s technology. That's exactly the kind of technology people in 1940s would have thought they'd have, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, it's great, too, that it fits kind of that era sci-fi rather than what we would use for something. Uh, and so they have a lot of stand-ins for the things that that are in more modern shows and so on. It's really great. Uh, I love the the complicated, you know, you here it is. You have someone, an SSR agent, a female, who is the star of the show, clearly the most competent person in her surroundings, and uh, and all the complications that come within that in the 40s. Uh, or come along with that in the 40s. I mean, you have Thompson and Sousa and Dooley and just the interactions between all of them. And, and it's just And they're so all, great. you know, chauvinistic and misogynist in their own ways. Even Sousa, who oh, is absolutely. our, uh, you know, sympathetic male character who kind of feels for her. It's kind of in a condescending, patronizing way at first. You know, like, uh, of course he grows as a character and so does Thompson to a certain extent. Uh <laughs> Thompson's just, you know, a self-centered person. So, uh, the way that Sousa grows out of his, you know, his chauvinism or sexism, we should say is, is much like people in the real world grow out of their prejudices. If your heart is in the right place, then you become aware of your, of the ways that you treat people unfairly that are subconscious and a product of your culture. And then you start to work against them once you're aware, right? It's like, cause a lot of, we all have our own, the like our own prejudices or weird weird ways that we treat people unfairly without noticing them and it's not until they're called to our attention that we realize oh that's that's actually not cool and he responds the way that you would hope somebody would i also love that the show didn't just address peggy's uh uh that how the sexism of the time affected Peggy, but how it affected everyone with her first roommate, you know, getting laid off because yeah. of uh, the men coming home. Um, and it wasn't because women weren't capable or trained to do these jobs. It was simply because they were women. They got laid off and the men need jobs. Um, yeah. And uh, I love uh, Angie. Yes. I love oh. the whole boarding house. <laughs> Uh, they live in that super, you know, 1940s boarding house where all these single ladies live. Uh, and they're super strict. Uh, the matron who oversees it. Um, and Dottie. Dottie ugh. is so good. I love having Dottie uh, on. The, like, she was so much fun. I will say my only big, glaring, huge plot hole problem with uh, season one is when they go to Russia 
and they like it's so obviously a trap and then they take back this guy who's so obviously bad like it, it was just kind of clumsy in how the the writers handled it because um, the whole time I'm watching it I'm like you realize you got called out to Russia for nothing basically like it was so obviously a trap yeah. um, that and then the rest of the season like that that clinched like that was a linchpin of the rest of the season you know uh, yeah. that that was super annoying and then um, Obviously, there are some other issues with the show being, uh, especially in the first season, super white, um, even though New York City has never been super white. Um, and uh, But I think the show did such a great job with women and women's relationships and both seasons, letting women be the heroes and the villains and the side characters and just women everywhere. Yeah. Um, a festival of women. It was, again, another show that really... I, did really well with women. Um, so kudos to Marvel's uh, ABC shows on that front. Can we talk about season two now? We can talk about season two. Go for it. And how much I hate, hate, hate the Sousa Peggy relationship. <laughs> okay. Tell, describe why and how you hate the Sousa Peggy relationship. Okay. I hate it because he's her boss. And like, that is so not okay on any level. Uh, and I, I really liked, I can't remember his name, but the scientist dude. Uh, uh, and then they, um, you know, slowly turned him evil. Uh, not evil, but, you know, unsympathetic over the course of the second season. And I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name. Um, Wilkes was the... Wilkes, yes, the that sounds right. <laughs> But Sousa, the whole thing just came across like he had a fiance um, and he is her boss. And I do not believe Peggy Carter and, and the way it was written was so clumsy and heavy handed. And it basically made the whole season into a love triangle. Will she yeah. choose Sousa or Wilkes? And that is what I hated more than anything. But the fact at the end, I would have rather her have if they were going to do this, I would rather her at the end be like, wait. I don't need either of you guys right now. Like I have more than enough going on in my life. And we all know it's not that because Peggy's not going to get romance at some point. Like we've been told explicitly she has kids and married someone. Right. Uh, right. But it's like, why did the whole, the whole first season was her getting over Steve, which is a big deal. Uh, and I'm not saying she shouldn't have love interests. I'm just saying that having this whole plot, basically revolve around this triangle and then having that resolve with her getting together with her boss is just despicable. Yeah. I, I mean, a much more elegant way to do it because I like the idea of them together, but I have all the objections or I agree with all the objections that you just made. Um, I like them as people, I guess, but uh, I think that a, a much, much more elegant way to do it would have been something like, you know, you have there, there's some of that initial tension, you know, maybe he even gets engaged to the girl, but then kind of independently is like, this isn't really what I want and breaks it off. But they do not get together. Like she does the romance thing that she does, you know, that's fine and so on. But then afterwards, for whatever reason, at the end of the season, he is not her boss anymore. And then they decide, okay, you know what? Maybe we can try this. Like, but one's not because of the other. It's like, okay, that's not a thing we're going to do. As or, long, like, or some both of them have the self-discipline about that. Right, you know? or, like, or some recognition that I shouldn't date someone higher than me in my chain of command or lower on either side, right? Like, right. that that's part of the struggle. That was never even mentioned, you know? And I'm just like, even 
even back then, even if it was common for people to like fall in love with their secretary or whatever, which I'm not sure how common that was, uh, I still think people probably looked at it a little like. Mm. Well, and the fact is, you're making it for our audiences, not for their audiences, right. so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it is very much the show is very much created with the eye for, hey, sexism is bad, you know? Um, and it wouldn't have been if it was made for 1940s audiences. Right. So, um, no, I, I mean, I think that you could have, they could have pretty easily done a thing where maybe, you know, Peggy has a thing where in the romance that she does, it like, you know, there are some comments about, well, if you haven't lived the, the life of a secret agent, you really can't understand it, you know, something like that. Uh, just little things that even if you're not explicitly talking about this particular relationship, eventually once it doesn't work out and then once she's no longer working under him, then you're like, oh, there's this opportunity here. Now we can progress from there. Um, right. But they didn't do that. And that is – I definitely agree with that criticism. So, um, Yeah, I'll, I also think the second season had a lot more um, weird hand-wavy plot things. Yeah, uh, they, they tried to scale it up, right? Yeah. It got bigger. And it suffers for it, I think. Uh, that said, I love uh, Anna Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, Anna Jarvis is a delight anytime she's on screen. Because, um, you know, you, you go through and she's like, oh, she wouldn't understand what Jarvis is dealing with, but she can clearly handle her own and clearly helps keep his head on straight. Um, I really love great. that the show was committed to not having uh, Mrs. Jarvis at any point be jealous of Jarvis and Peggy's relationship because she knows she doesn't need to be jealous of that. Yeah, absolutely. The The confidence she has in her relationship with Jarvis is, I shouldn't call him, whatever, with her husband uh, is tremendous. What did you say? Oh, Edwin is his name. Yeah, Edwin. I'm Right, Edwin. Whatever. But, but that uh, the confidence she has in her relationship is fantastic. The immediate befriending, because, you know, early on, I think we, every single one of us, like when we're ready for them to first meet, we're like, oh no, is this going to be awkward? But no. Like, she immediately diffuses it from the very beginning. And that's it. After that, they're friends. They're just immediate friends. Not just fast friends, like immediate friends. And that's it. They are going and to And I be think from Anna's perspective, Peggy isn't that different from Howard and how Anna views them. In the yeah. sense that they're both kind of like these lost young people uh, looking for, like, their path in life and getting into shenanigans. They're very different shenanigans. Uh, Howard's shenanigans involve more sleeping around. Uh but they're still shenanigans. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and the thing is, she really, Anna, is such a big part of the emotional resonance of the end. You know, like, you think about the emotional impact at the end of the show that, uh, that Jarvis uh, is having and how she plays into it. Um, I don't know, and and I know there was a lot of talk, uh, or, you know, about... Anna not being able to have kids after she gets shot. And, you know, people were like, some people were iffy about that as a storyline. But when you look at it in the greater context of what the Jarvises are going to mean to Tony, uh, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Because uh, that basically, if, if they never have children, it explains why they so wholeheartedly and completely basically adopt Tony into their lives. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes it so that they're... Their family will always just be the two of them and the two of them together without any other – they can do whatever they – they can dedicate their lives to whomever and whatever they'd like without really worrying about kids and so on. And yep. it's really great. Although, man, they would be amazing parents. Well. Well, Anna would be an amazing of, mom. All of Tony's good points come from them and, you know, Howard is not a good dad. 
<laughs> yeah, that is that is a true statement. I, I do know some people have criticized the show. Um, I, I feel like younger people, uh, not necessarily like teenagers, but like uh, just you know our age or younger, because uh, they feel like there's a disconnect between the Howard Stark of the first Avenger and the show, and the Howard Stark as played in Ant Man and Iron Man Two. Um, but I just like to say that. I don't necessarily view that criticism as uh, true because the Howard we're seeing in these shows is very young. Um, And I think a lot can change from the time you're 30 to the time you're 60. Uh, And Tony is born very late in Howard's life uh, because, I mean, Howard is in World War II. Tony, I think, canonically is born in the 70s. That's, That's a long time. Uh, and I think a lot can change. And I, and I think, you know, some people aren't necessarily seeing that huge time period shift. Uh, so I, I think there's room for Howard's character to have changed from the baseline we see in this show to uh, what we see in uh, Iron Man 2. No, I, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much time for his character to change that I think it, it's okay for there to be a large disconnect because... Yeah. Frankly, I'm sure there are a lot of real people that we know who have changed drastically from the age of, you know, 18 or 25 to the age of 55, Right, and and I think that's why most of the criticism is coming from younger people, like our age and younger, because, you know, we've talked about this. You know, you look back at your 18-year-old self, and while there are some differences, you're like, I feel like I was still me, right? Yeah. Uh, But, you know, maybe when you're like 70 and looking back, you're like, wow, you know, I've changed. (laughs) Yeah, wow, younger me was an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to, and not to get political at all, but it goes to that the old saying uh, that people like, or the old joke really is that if you're, uh, is it if you're, tw- is it if you're young and a and a Republican, you have no heart. If you're like, if you're old and you're a Democrat, you have no brain or something yeah, like that. It's, like it's kind of like the stereotypical view of you become more authoritative, uh, authoritarian and conservative as you get older. Yeah. Um, which, you know, there's all kinds of differences in real life, but it's just like a, you know, I can imagine someone swinging one way uh, from like from one extreme to the other. And especially with someone who seems to be as I mean, if you look at how uh, Tony Stark's character changes wildly right. and just what we've seen, I mean, he it really does seem like he gets a little bit of that erraticness and uh, and extremism from his father. And and I think it says, like, the first season went to great lengths to show how much Steve meant to Howard and uh, how much his death would affect Howard. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Um, All right. So I think that's it for Agent Carter. I love Um, Peggy Carter. She's better than all of us. I wish she was real. She's the best of of everyone. Um, If, for whatever reason, you haven't watched it, please go watch it. It's such a good show. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, next, Daredevil, which we have done an entire episode on Daredevil Season 1. but um, I we forgot can still... we did that. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll just talk about Season 2 then. Yeah, so... Ninjas. In ninjas. I think it overdoes ninjas. Uh, um, I, but why are ninjas so ineffective in large groups? It, you know what's funny? Uh, do you know that Daredevil, the comic book, is what actually made ninjas a thing in terms of, like, the stereotype that we have of them? Like, the swarms of ninjas? Really? Yeah. Like, Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a, basically a spoof off of Daredevil. Hmm. Like, they basically took the, they took the ninja trope from Daredevil and then were like, you know what? We're going to make an entire comic based on this and make it kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's um, really funny. 
Yeah. So, like, it, it's sort of weird because Daredevil is what made ninjas a big thing. And then, so it comes full circle. And now, to us nowadays, ninjas are like, okay, ninjas are ninjas. But it used them to, it, it's so weird how by the end, just ninjas are nothing major. And it feels kind of, it bugs me a little bit. Um, There's a lot of things about season two of Daredevil that bugs me. But before I get to the things that bugs me, the thing that doesn't, Punisher. Yes, oh, I was expecting my to gosh. dislike it so much. I don't generally like the I idea. I don't of like Punisher. Punisher. I don't like Punisher as a character. I don't like him in pretty much any comic or story I've read. They made he me is love so him. good in this. They made me like him and be so sympathetic to him. They did such an amazing job. So bravo! When like, he comes all kinds back at the end to like help them, I I was like cheering, you know, and I'm just like. This is who Punisher, and you know, I think I said this at the season one of Daredevil too. And so maybe it's just the writers. This is the show that makes me like characters I don't like because I never liked Matt Murdock, and then Daredevil made me like Matt Murdock. I've never liked Punisher. I've never liked the concept of him. He just seems very. Uh, I know he's an anti-hero, but he just seems so like stereotypical anti-hero. Um, maybe because he's like one of the defining anti-heroes. But I, I'm like, they made me love the, him like feel bad for him and like think like maybe he's not so wrong and then be like wait what am i thinking you know yeah it's oof. um yeah i mean on that note so th- this season basically it introduces uh frank castle slash punisher and electra uh-huh. I-, I guess those are the two main like big characters that they uh that they introduce um it gets very convoluted in terms of its relationships with Matt and the people around him. The plot uh, of season two is a lot more convoluted than the plot of season one. Yes. And I'm uh, still yes not sure there was any resolution to half the things in season two. Yeah. I'm not sure it was. It, it, uh, so to start off with, we're, we're basically <coughs> a whole bunch of people are being shot up. Crime families are being shot up and you know, you're you're immediately on the side of okay. Clearly, this guy needs to be stopped. Um, I think they do a really good job of getting Karen and her relationship with Frank uh, going. That was like, so I great. Actually, I did not see that coming, so well. and it was done so well. Yeah, unlike Karen's uh, relationship with somebody else. <laughs> that uh, they, I, that was. I, I, We'll get to it, but uh, man, so they did such a great job of building her up as a character, I think, in this, and kind of that inner turmoil she still has from murdering someone at the end of season one. Which she still hasn't uh, talked to anyone about, and so... She hasn't talked to anyone about uh, and is eating her up from the inside, you know? Uh, and it shouldn't be, because clearly it was self-defense. Well, I mean, you know? I, and I think that's why Punisher was able to get to her in the way he was. Yeah. Um, whereas if she had just talked to somebody by now they would have helped her get through it in a healthier way. Um, I think. But on the other but, hand, you know, if, if Matt had just told her he was daredevil, maybe she would have felt more comfortable talking to Matt about it. Yeah. Which, Hey, we'll see what happens with season three, right? Uh, the whole season. Um, I swear I was yelling at the TV, Matt, you have to tell Karen. And it just, it was the most stereotypical. Every relate, like 90% of conflicts on TV could be, could be handled by two people just talking straight at each other for about 30 seconds. You know, and this was just such a stereotype. It was like, if you just tell her that you are Daredevil, so much gets resolved. So much. (sighs) Like, there was so much that I was like, Karen is going to die. Not that she didn't die. But I was like, Karen is going to die, and it's going to be Matt's fault because he didn't tell her. Yeah, and it's like, there's so much that changes, and you're not protecting her at all by not telling her. Like, there's no benefit to it. Ugh. 
Oh man, superheroes and shows, dummies. Yeah. Uh, um, so how did you feel about Electra being introduced? So I, I'm conflicted. I liked I her conflicted. at the start. And then by the end of it, I was like, so she's Matt's manic pixie murder girlfriend. Um, and uh, she, her role in this, I felt was really weird. I'm not super familiar with comics canonical Electra because once again, I don't read Daredevil. Um, but like making her this like super chosen one of the hand felt like a really weird choice. Um, and I, I don't know. It's just like, I really love Matt and Foggy as friends, and she, like, destroyed their friendship. Uh, I mean, Matt obviously destroyed their friendship. But uh, he let Electra just, like, get in his head in a way that seemed weird. Um, and so I'm just really conflicted about her. That and uh, Electra fits strongly. The, the actress they cast as Electra fits strongly into the stereotype of super tiny women who, for some reason, are capable of taking down, like huge men um and this was like the first show i ever watched where i felt like the camera didn't add 10 pounds and in fact like she just looked tiny and breakable (laughs) the whole time (laughs) so you know and i'm not for like body policing women or whatever it's just you know when she's standing next to matt or even stick or some of the other characters i'm just like wow she is super tiny uh in a way that made it like take me out of the story yeah um, which, so I, I also, I've read some Daredevil, but I don't really know much about Elektra. Um, I also thought that the chosen one thing was a little bit weird and kind of unnecessary, but you know, I guess they needed to have something as the actual stakes and why they were kept bar- bothering these characters. Um, they also needed some source of conflict between her and stick. Uh, it didn't make any sense at all when she sort of, briefly switch sides like yeah that didn't make any sense in the slightest it's like i I found the the whole ninja plot in general to be highly convoluted like the war stick is trying to describe to us and i know the hand and all that kind of stuff is in comics but i just didn't feel like they did a good job explaining it or like explaining how the like weird zombie hospital people were actually tied into everything and i i don't know if they're trying to answer that in season three or whatever but i just at the end of the season, I felt confused. By the way, uh, the fact that they're the hand in the comics is why in Ninja Turtles, they're the foot. <laughs> uh, that makes uh, sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, I'm with you. It, it basically, I think they could have done it in a much more straightforward way. Uh, you just have, have that main guy that, you know, Matt killed previously or kind of killed himself in flames Nabu, previously. Nobu. Nobu. Yeah. yeah. So have him come back. Have him be a little bit more threatening than he was. Um, and only have like a few ninjas like striking at very opportune times. You know, um, I, it just, there was too much ninja, I think, by the end. Yeah. Um, Oversaturation of ninjas. Yeah. If they had kept them isolated and just had them kind of ducking in a little bit in the latter half of the season, then that would be a good way to kind of tie the punisher, you know, help do what they did with the Punisher, which is like tie things off with a bow and like he gets away and we're kind of glad that he came back and helped out for, for a second. But, uh, and then also Matt really wouldn't care if he shot to kill against these ninjas because they're undead ninjas anyways. Um, but 
Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 they just overdid the ninja thing. The, the um, whole plot was so convoluted for this season. Like, you had the whole Punisher thing going on. There was this brief visit to the jail with, you know, um, uh, gosh, the bad guy from season one whose name? Fisk. Fisk. Uh, there's this whole ninja thing. There's Styx whole thing. There's Electra. I felt like they threw in everything. Yes, they did. Um, hopefully they'll clear it up a little bit for season three, um, which has been announced, but we'll see. Um, one thing I'm really glad, though, is I'm glad they showed restraint with Fisk um, because people liked him. I mean, I had no idea he was in it. Yeah. And he played an important but small role, um, which I think was nice. Um, I'm still not sure I understand all the, like, who the different people that they were talking about, all the different power brokers they were talking about were at various given times. I'm not sure I understand the power dynamics of the different, uh, you know, gangs or whatever, um, and the dude in prison, but, you know, that's fine. Um, all said and done, basically, I think it was a much, season two was much weaker than season one, but the Punisher was great, uh, and I'm so glad good. that we have him around. Uh, and I'm hopeful they will make the Electra thing more straightforward. That was... The romance thing with her was, I think, too much. Like, they could have had enough of the flashback thing and show why she holds as much sway without them needing to almost get back together again. It was too much with her and with all Karen and, and Matt. And yeah. I, while we know Karen has been carrying a torch for Matt for a while, uh, it, Matt's sudden interest in Karen seemed weird. Um, and I did not like it. Uh, and then I feel like I spent the whole season just yelling at Matt. Like, I, I felt like a lot of his decisions were stupid, uh, compromised his team. Uh, and I know it's supposed to be Electra's influence or whatever, but, you know, I, I'm kind of over this trope of women being able to come in and completely, like, destroy men's lives. So, uh, <laughs> Matt is a grown up. And he should know that the whole court case is more important than these, you know, stupid adventures with Electra. And so, yes. I, well, I loved the Punisher. I loved Karen's storyline with the Punisher. Uh, Foggy is the secret MVP of this whole show, you know, holding everybody together. And Matt was just like off base the entire season. Yeah. Uh, I'm hopeful because, you know, going into season three, basically, hopefully Matt and Karen will be able to patch things up and they won't. <sighs> But, you know, Karen, there's going to be something going on with Karen. There has to be. Um, I'm hopeful that they can just leave them be for a little bit because, like, hey, now that they know, maybe she'll open up to him. That'll be a source of tension at some point. Um, I don't know. But uh, you're going to have to kind of resolve the situation between Matt and Foggy, um, which is is that that's partially resolved, right? Partially, partially. I, I don't Partially, know. partially? Like, it's kind of like a, hey, yes, you're right to be angry at me. Please go do your own thing. Is yeah. that, Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I think that's right. So, and I think that that does diffuse it some, so it puts them in a position to potentially build and improve things moving forward. Um, I don't know what Matt's going to do to make money. <laughs> but, I don't know, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, all, all, I mean, I would still say it was a worthwhile show to watch if you like daredevil season one i mean daredevil season two is still worth watching but it's not it's not season one no. um though it is worth yeah. it for the punisher yeah it's worth it for the punisher for sure and just for the continuing interactions with the rest of the with the rest of the tv franchise because that moves us into another connected show jessica jones uh i love jessica jones i do too uh, i think it's great um i would probably say that 
I enjoy Daredevil season one more than Jessica Jones, but that does not mean I think Daredevil season one is a better show. I, I'm not sure which I enjoy more. Uh, it's a, I, you know, I love Agent Carter more. But uh, I, I will say my husband liked Jessica Jones better than Daredevil season one. So, uh, which well, is interesting. So we can get into on on the basic level. Like, what would you say the general theme of Daredevil as a show is? Morality. Yeah, like I would say morality, there's the guilt therein, how like, you know, the so-called relativism of morality, um, what people, how people convince themselves of their own morality. I mean, that's true of both season one and season two, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Jessica Jones is basically about rape and assault and PTSD. I feel like it's about autonomy is probably a better way to put it. Like self-determination and having control over your own life, which directly relates to rape and assault and PTSD, right? Because people who have been victims often feel like they are no longer in control of their own lives. Um, So I I feel like it's about Jessica Jones reclaiming her uh, self-sovereignty, if you will. And because of that, though, it's not just her. It's basically everyone else in the show dealing with the same thing and and how they deal with it. Right. Because it's very clear that with, um, uh, Patsy, wait, they don't call her Patsy Trish. Uh, she's dealing with the same thing, right? Her autonomy over herself, as opposed to her mother controlling her life, uh, and how she's had to make a new life for herself. Um, and of course with her whole, uh, you know, how can she help, and protect Jessica and how she feels like that's uh, part of her self uh, determination. Um, there's of course um, the guy whose name I'm forgetting, even though it was literally just a Simpson uh, yeah. and kind of his like losing almost his like, a, like he lost control because of, you know, the bad guy, the purple man. And then how he kind of like goes into not, but drugs because of it. Right. And and then, of course, the guy who lives down the hall who completely lost all of his ability to control himself, uh, not just because of mind control, but drugs, literal drugs, not the, you know, not theoretical, but unreal drugs of Simpson. And the whole show is about that. It's about people reclaiming themselves. And and in in as much that inherently darker theme is why I don't quite enjoy it as much, but I, I'm not discounting the show for it. Like, I think it's nailing the topics really well, and it just makes me way more uncomfortable, as it should, you know? And it's so that discomfort just makes me enjoy it less when I'm ter- talking purely as entertainment. But uh, I can certainly appreciate it, and I am very glad that this show is what it is. Yeah, I, on the other hand, like, I felt like not that I am an assault or rape or victim in any way, but because it's, you know, self uh, your, your self-sufficiency and self-autonomy uh, is something we can all relate to a little more than questions of whether I should murder this guy or not. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, going into, you touched on a bunch of really awesome characters. That is the thing this show does so well, is the way that these characters interleave with each other, the things you discover about different characters that changes your view of them, um, and what basically what drives each of them. Uh is really intense. And you can see them, their opinions changing of each other as time goes on, right? I, I think Simpson was one of the most, like, surprising, like, everything he did, like, was not out of character, but just, like, where he was at the beginning of the show, by the end of the show, I did not see that coming. As yeah. was uh, the guy who lived down the hall, whose name I can't... Mm. Uh, Malcolm. Malcolm. Yes. 
See, um, I was like, am I confusing that with a dare oh, with a not Daredevil, um, Firefly? That's why I wasn't sure. Yeah, but <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. so good. I mean, he, yeah, they just they do such a good job of <sighs> so so many things come up. Right, is like Jessica kind of knows where she's been. She knows she knows that stuff. She doesn't feel. She like she owes it to anybody to explain what she's dealt with or so on. She's just gonna do life the way she's gonna do it. Um, but on the other hand, she's completely isolated herself. Yes, absolutely. and that's not viewed as a good thing either. Like her growth, she at the beginning of the show, she's I mean she's still PTSD at the end of the show, but she's in it at such an extreme case at the beginning. She's completely isolated herself from her friends um, and from everyone. Yeah, her and uh, and on that front though, uh, part of it is. Because she's dealing with what she's dealt with, like she's very low on the on judgment of other people who seem to do uh, things in their own self interest. Um, I mean, how she deals with her her neighbor, like there, it's not that there's no pity there or anything, but she like treats him like a person. Yeah, um, which is, I just makes it so much more painful from his like for him when you realize what's going on with him. Um, because the whole time we don't know, he's just like, okay, he's, he's a druggie. I mean, yeah, she's treating him nice, but like a lot of kind of my own prejudices come out in that. And it's yep. kind of, uh, oof. Uh, and then also, uh, it, it's just this complete like stab in the back that he's spying on her. Yeah. You know, but she, and the truth is she deals with that pretty well. She's like, it's not oh, yeah. really his fault fault because she completely I, understands yeah she understands because i mean she's flat out killed somebody <laughs> you know <laughs> her, her boyfriend's wife yeah oh man that whole thing too like when when luke cage is fantastic yes. um as a character i'm so glad we're getting an entire show starring him um but that reveal when she when he finds out and how he handles it which is totally understandable but then once he actually undergoes the same kind of control on a very, like very briefly that she went underwent for a really long time. He's like, Oh, then she under- he understands them. Yeah. yeah. He totally understands. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like this was not you who did this. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is, is like, there, there's so much about uh, abuse in this. That's not uh, overt. Right. Because, you know, Kilgrave is never seen as hitting Jessica or anything like that, right? right? It's psychological but abuse. It's I mean, completely psychological. There's so much gaslighting, like how much no one believes her. Um, you know, like they think she's crazy until they've experienced it. You know, they're basically like, if you had been stronger, you would be able to get out from under his control. Right. You know, uh, but then once they experience it for themselves and they're like, oh, crap. Yeah. And the fact that Jessica can no longer be controlled by him, like, it's just so great. <laughs> and uh, and it, it does highlight the whole thing, too, where, um, where a lot of, you know, people frequently talk about how rape is not about the sex, it's about the control, right? Right. And it's how desperate Kilgrave is to get that control back. Because uh, mm-hmm. she's the one person he lost control of, so he must get her back. Like, yeah. he, he has to dominate her. Uh, and that's all he wants. And it is kind of his downfall. Not kind of. It is his downfall. But, man, I, there are so many great things that this show does. Uh, the introduction introduction of Jerry as, a like, the lawyer um, and her oh, yeah. kind of messed up Carrie Moss situation. is great. Yeah, Carrie Ann Ma- Moss is just great across the board. Um, she does a fantastic job of making me not like her. Oh, yeah. Um, just, ugh. 
I mean, she's sleeping with her secretary. This goes yes. directly back to what we were saying with Agent Carter. That does not make someone uh, sympathetic. And she's cheating on her wife with her secretary, too. Yes. There's like, it's A, there's the power dynamic of sleeping with your secretary. B, cheating on your spouse who paid your way through school. And then C, um, your secretary basically saves you, kills your wife, uh, because that you know she was under the control of Kilgrave, and you basically throw her under the bus, yeah. like, oh, like un- yeah, she's just such a terrible person. Yeah, like irredeemable. Presumably, I mean, it would take a lot, and I don't think they're ever going to bother redeeming her. Like, no. it doesn't mean that she's you know not going to do things that are valuable to people who are good. Right. But, like, I'm sure she's coming back. Yeah. Um. I th- think we've already seen. Yeah, we've seen that indicated at the end of Daredevil season two. I right. Think. So um, I also think to contrast with Daredevil, at the end of the season, she kills Kilgrave. You yeah. know, uh, Daredevil spends his entire first season debating whether he can kill uh, uh, Fisk, but with Kilgrave, you have to kill him. There are some bad guys you have to kill. Yeah. Like they could not hold him uh, in a cell. Like there was no other solution. Yeah, there, there was literally, I mean, no matter how good you are, that's the only solution because he's crazy. Uh, he's going to keep controlling people, killing them, and so on. And all you need is, like, one person to not believe you who's going to take the so the moral high ground and not, you know, as people so often did. is like, well, if you were stronger and so on, it's like, oh, surely it can't be all that you say it is. But then just one instance and he's free. Right. You know, and it, you, you just, you can't do that. So the only solution was his death. And, uh, yeah, and it was done really well in a way that is like, now nah, can't argue with that. Um, the legal fallout is interesting because it's like, you know, they're not really going to go down the path of convincing everyone or convincing the court system that this guy, this was the only way to do that because our court system is not really set up to deal with that. Um, yeah, there, there's no um, She-Hulk in this universe to take these kinds of cases. Well, and even if it was, like, the law, we don't have a law that that exists to manage, oh, literally the only solution to this is to kill this person because otherwise he is an unstoppable, like, you know, force of superpower. Um, because in a way that he's, he may be more powerful in a, in a way than any of the superheroes we've seen in the movies. I think that's true. Yeah. He could control any of them. Yeah. Maybe so. not Hulk. Uh, that would but be interesting. It's not Vision. Um, sure. Because but Vision's not human. Could you imagine if Kilgrave got control of Wanda? Yeah. Wanda or Cap or really any of them. Like, it would be We've already things. seen the destruction mind control wreaks in the Avengers with Hawkeye. Like, I couldn't even imagine if it was a more powerful Avenger. Yeah. With more, so. with really better mind control, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's my ball. And I cannot wait for the, the, like, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, conflict that's going to arise between Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock. Like, cause Matt is so morality and, uh, you know, Jessica is like, no, I just had to kill him. Yeah. Um, and so on, on that though, uh, I guess, cause going back to what we've talked about previous shows and, and so not really on the central central thing but like we've talked a lot about characters and their relationships with each other um and it's just how much this stress uh, this autonomy affects all the relationships um it makes me really really love uh patricia and 
Jessica's relationship. Oh, I love them so much. It's so like, these are two women who clearly love each other a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they really changed Trisha's personality from the comics, but I feel like that was for the better. Um, because in the, well, in the comics, you know, Jessica, Jessica Jones's best friend is like Captain Marvel, not, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Captain Marvel. I am uh, actually pretty sure that in this show they were originally intending Carol Danvers to play to be this role, and so, then they changed yeah. it because of the M- MCU. So they changed Trish's personality to match more that Carol Danvers uh, role, but it works so well, um, and I have no problems with it. And I love. And Trish is really the only person who believes Jessica, who didn't need to be mind controlled to believe her. Um, yeah. But they have so much uh, hurt associated with each other in the past that uh, Jessica had pushed her away. Um, And, you know, Jessica, not Jessica, Trish is suffering from her own PTSD uh, from her mother and knowing what's happened to Jessica. And that's why she lives in an apartment that is a fortress. Yeah. But even that fortress can't save her. You know, like, it's just, uh, it's, it's so good. It, I, and I love how this show, uh, you know, there are so many female characters in it. Um, and, you know, that's that's the way it should be. This, you know, I mean, there are men in the show, obviously. Uh, yeah, there are we quite talked a few. About I mean, a lot of them. Yes. But the, the main relationships are, you know, uh, Trish and Jessica, uh, Jessica and Jerry, uh, you know, and it's just, and, and Hope. Uh, who is this student who kind of becomes the avatar for all of Jessica's, like, uh, her ev- represents, like, so much to Jessica about the fight against Kilgrave and how Jessica loses her. Uh, and it, it's just... Uh, yeah. Oof. I love Jessica Jones. It is a really good show. It's done really, really well. Um, I also, I really <laughs> liked the... Uh, this is the, the some of the first tie-in that we saw with... Uh, Daredevil is when, uh, what's her name? The nurse. Um, um, I could have said it before you just said that, but, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I love her Claire. so much. Claire. Yes. Claire is great. Uh, I think her presentation or her presence in the show is fantastic. Um, cause just, she's sort oh of, Oh my gosh. Having to go through doctor. Luke Cage's eye. I had to look cool. away. I, that was painful. Uh, she, it, it's great. Cause she's basically earning the, I'm the superhero for, uh, or I'm the superhero doctor role kind of like, which is sort of fun. Um, and she doesn't really like it, but she knows somebody needs to do it. So, um, Luke, I'm, so I don't know almost anything about Luke Cage. I don't actually know, like are his powers basically in vulnerability and super strength? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So he's potentially like Avenger caliber, strength in terms of this right like i feel like he could probably handle himself fine around captain america except you know maybe without the speed and agility but it seems like he'd be stronger than cap quite uh, a bit stronger you know i'm not sure how strong he is um i do know he's invulnerable um i'm going to be honest most of what i know about power man is from the iron man power man iron fist power man comic that's currently out and uh the uh spider-man show that's currently on TV. Uh, so um, it's not a lot. Um, yeah. Most well, of what I and just know going about in terms of what they've shown us. I mean, right. Obviously in the show. Uh, so most of what I know about power man is how him and iron fist are bros. And <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, 
I, I mean, uh, there, there's just, there's really too much that could be said about this. Um, we could go around in circles. Uh, Kilgrave was a great bad guy, I feel like. Um, I, I feel like the universe is trying to make me hate David Tennant. Because, like, isn't he just, everything since so Doctor terrifying. Who, he's, he is so good at being so, so terrifying. But, like, he's so he was so evil. perfect for the role. Like, Kilgrave had to be suave, right? Yes. Because if he was some creepy, you know, weird-looking guy, people would, their natural prejudice would be to dislike him. Right? right, but because he's David Tennant, because he's so suave and British and like you know handsome, people are just like, oh, this guy can't possibly be as bad as you say he is. Well, I mean, think about the whole just when women claim to be raped and people don't believe them, right? you know, like just ha- that how that dynamic goes. It's like no, 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 you believe them, like please do, and and so of course, if somebody who's like suave and so is like, are you sure? Like, right. It sure happens so many times, him? right? Where someone yeah. says they've been hurt by someone and they're like, well, he's only ever been nice to me. You know, he's so handsome and nice looking, like surely. Yeah, and you he's know, so he's, pleasant to talk to. Yeah, and- he's not the stranger in the shadows jumping out at you. This this is a, you know, respectable David Tennant. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be bad. So, uh, I mean, yeah, David Tennant just delivers so well on this. He does so good and he's so believably psycho like um just the ways that he the switch just flips uh at appropriate times and then i i love jessica's whole dilemma on whether like to go back if she can make him good and if it's worth like her own personal hell to keep him away from other people um and just like how in the end the answer is no you kill him like uh, it's some people are not redeemable, right? I mean, we like to believe everyone is redeemable and everyone should get a chance. Well, but And you could say, maybe everybody is, but it doesn't mean they're going to give you that there, there's any way f- to force them to give you the circumstances under which they would be, right? right. Like, he's going to... He's going to threaten your life and everybody else's life every single instant, and you're never going to get that chance. And so it's right. just, you, you can't. Um, interesting. So you mentioned uh, Simpson earlier and kind of his arc. Mm. Uh, and Despicable. I think pro- probably my biggest thing with him, though, is the random happenstance that brought him into the story in the first place. That's that I just. Well, he gets mind you know, controlled by Kilgrave. Right, but why is but the fact that he happens to be one of them, like one of the these special people, and happens to be one of the the sergeants who was mind controlled by by Kilgrave, right? Because like, there's a good chance that he would have never been one of these people who was mind controlled, or that like you know he could have been a sergeant who was mind controlled and wasn't one of these special former super soldier crazy people. Sure, you know, so like that that's a little bit like in a show that doesn't do it very much. That's a little bit heavy in the in the way of coincidence, you know, because everything else has very specifically chosen dotted lines. Malcolm is where he is because he was planted there. Um, the relationship with Luke Cage is specifically because Jessica Jones is kind of stalking him. She is totally because, stalking him. Not kind of. She's stalking him because she killed <laughs> his his girlfriend or or girlfriend wife wife. I thought. I, I don't know his previous you know significant other significant other so like every other relationship and why they're there is kind of like a direct line and you could even say that okay the fact that luke cage is the person who is the husband of this girl who was killed and happens to be super powered 
that's already a big coincidence to also have Simpson end up being that is like, it's, it's, I mean, again, as someone who actually really enjoys the way his character takes a dark turn and all that stuff, like not enjoys it, but appreciates it and thinks it's done well. It's just like, it's one too many coincidences for me, but that's really just a, it's a relatively minor criticism for me. Just one that I felt like I needed to call out. I I think that's legit. It didn't bother me, but I, I can see that. Unless secretly half of cops are former super soldiers. Right. Um, so going into, though, like, tell me, describe uh, how you feel about his relationship or his change or arc, I guess. I think it is so brilliant uh, and makes complete sense. Like, I mean, this whole thing, as we would say, is about loss of control, What, wh- how people react when they lose control of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone reacts differently. I think Simpson's reaction makes complete sense. He lost control, and he never wants to feel that way ever again. Yeah. Uh, so he turns to the one thing he thinks will make him stronger, because clearly if he was stronger, he would not have lost control. Um, and that thing happens to be a weird super soldier group who might have inadvertently created Jessica at one point. Who knows? Um, not like given her life, but given her her powers, um, that's, you know, has these pills that are like uppers and downers uh, to uh, basically make you stronger, more like Captain America. Um, And uh, I I just, it's a realistic spiral of someone losing control of their life, I feel like. Yeah. Um, He's also very... uh... And I hate him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in a way you're supposed to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I, it's also interesting too. You have uh, kind of the the back and forth between because <laughs> you know the role that he immediately wants to take. If you think about just like the role he wants to default to when when this has happened is he wants to take control. He wants to be in on this group of people who is going to hunt down, kill a grave, and he sees himself as like, well, I'm the strong one. He's the I'm knight in shining armor. I'm going to be the knight in shining armor. I'm going to be the and then it's very clearly put ahead. Like he finally very quickly realizes, oh, no, Jessica is so much stronger than I am. And that makes him uncomfortable. I mean, he's a guy who I think, you know, views himself as a knight. And not that he's, like, purposefully sexist, right? He's not, like, evilly sexist. Uh, He just has always viewed himself as a strong man, right? I mean, he comes from a super soldier program. Uh, And he thinks he's uh, the knight in shining armor for all these women, Jessica and Trish, right? Uh, And then turns out... uh, He's he's a villain, and not not because I think Simpson is evil, right? This it this is like the per, it, it's PTSD, Sim- right? Yes, it, it Simpson does do evil things, things um, and he he goes on a path to evilness that could result in irredeemable evilness, right? But it's kind of like how a lot of people who are like uh, you know Malcolm. You know, yeah. you think, oh, he's a druggie. He's just a druggie, like, you know, whatever. But it's like, no, these people have reasons for why they've made the decisions they've made. And these are realistic responses people have to trauma. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of my favorite little snippets, uh, interactions between Jessica and another character is when uh, something about carrying somebody and uh, Simpson uh, and Jessica knows that she's the one who should be doing it because it's going to get done faster. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, it's when they're uh, the first time when they capture, what's his name? Uh, when they capture Kilgrave. And so she goes, like, how fast is your mile? And he goes, six minutes. And she's, like, under four. Which is, you know, the fact that, like, she can 
run basically a uh, an Olympic level uh, <laughs> mile while also being super super powerful is pretty great. But also, he's like, it just drives home that it's like, dude, you're not you're not a big deal, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, but here's this you know handsome man who has always been on top, and this is the first time he's come into contact with people like Jessica uh, and Luke and, and Kilgrave. And I mean, it's the PTSD and the fact that Jessica is what she is that probably pushes him to these drugs and whatnot to, because I, I can imagine that if he was just able to take on that powerful role and, and so on and without them all getting bitten in the butt because of it, then he, maybe he would have been sufficient. Like that would have been sufficient for him, but, uh, he's, he's just a bit player. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that interaction with, I really enjoy, it. I can totally see. Cause I mean, I, I've, we've all done things where it's like, where, we try to take react or we react overly harshly because so, you know something happens that we don't like and we just overcompensate and he's doing a whole lot of that. Um, <laughs> um, any other particular character? I mean, Malcolm's relationship is just heartbreaking more than anything, or his situation is just heartbreaking. Um, yeah, the only characters I didn't like were the brother and sister upstairs. Yeah, I, I don't really understand their significance. Um, I don't understand what purpose they had other than to say people are weird. I like and live and let live, but like it just struck me as weird. Yeah. And, and not like weird in some sort of like powerful statement of humanity, just like yeah. weird. No, I'm, I'm with you. So uh, not much else. It's just it's a good show. I'm really glad it's been renewed for season two or whatever the phrase is. Um, yeah, I think it's just renewal. I, I keep wondering if they have a different word for it now that it's on a Netflix thing. I but, don't think so. I think it's just yeah. season two. So, oh, no, no, I meant uh, for renewal because oh. for whatever reason, renewal seems linked to like continuing TV shows yeah. that air normally, but I think it's just the same word. Um, so yeah, next, uh, I mean, I, that's it for the shows up until now. Um, so what do we have to look forward to? So much. Uh, I guess Luke Cage is next, right? Comes out yes. uh, this, September thirtieth uh, yeah. of twenty sixteen. It's coming so, up. M- yeah, maybe um, right after this airs, this episode. I don't. I'd have yeah. to look at the timeline. So pretty excited. Uh, I, I saw some of my coworkers. I, I live in Atlanta, and um, and I work with a thankfully very diverse work in a very diverse environment. So I have a lot of black coworkers, and I saw several of them, like two or three, post the the trailer and just get really excited and they're like I love how unapologetically black this trailer is and I think that's the way it should be yeah it's absolutely the way it should be it's, it's like how Jessica Jones is unapologetically female I mean not that the whole cast is female but right but it's just like hey this should mean it like black culture should be the dominant culture here mm-hmm. you know and that's fantastic I love that they're doing that I love that it feels so different from everything else. Um, and I don't really know much and I'm trying not to spoil myself about it much, but, uh, I'm super excited though. Cause <laughs> Luke Cage was a great character in Jessica Jones and I'm hopeful that they do a good job of helping, of letting him carry a show on his own. Um, yeah. Yeah. I uh, then, uh, Iron Fist. I think, yeah, I think Iron Fist is next. Um, should come out in early 2017. I'm, I think. Is Iron Fist next or Punisher? I think... It's Iron Fist, then Defenders, then Punisher. I think that might be right, because we haven't seen a Punisher trailer yet, but we have seen Iron Fist. Uh, Iron Fist, I am excited about, um, because I I love Iron Fist. Um, I also, uh, 
hope it includes Luke Cage. Like, I hope Luke Cage gets in- introed to Iron Fist in the Iron Fist show. Um, because I love their bromance. Um, so you want his Iron Fist, like, origin, or you don't want him to be introduced in the Luke Cage show like Luke Cage was in Jessica Jones? No, I, I, I think, I'm not sure how much sense that would make. Uh, it depends on how they do Luke Cage and how they do Iron Fist, right? Because right now it seems like, based off of Jessica Jones, that Luke Cage doesn't know Iron Fist yet. And Iron Fist is a weird character to introduce, because uh, while Luke Cage is just like, he's strong, Iron Fist has like a whole weird mythology um, that might be weird to explain. So I'd rather uh, Iron Fist not be introduced in Luke Cage, but rather Luke Cage be the thing that bounds iron fist to everything else that, that makes sense to me uh yeah and yeah like you said his origin story it'd be too much to explain yeah and i feel like it would take away from luke's show yeah and especially since jessica jones is probably gonna be in it assuming it takes place after jessica jones which uh, it may not yeah i mean they could do but i feel like they should though i feel like they should keep everything so i, I feel like adding iron fist to that would be too much um i do agree with the general sentiment that it's a missed opportunity that Marvel had to make Iron Fist Asian American. Um, while I'm not going to cry whitewashing because it's not whitewashing, Iron Fist is in fact white. Yeah, Danny Rand is a white character. Uh, I think it would have been an interesting statement to have Iron Fist rather than be a white character, be an Asian character who's so Americanized he's not in touch with Asian culture at all. Yeah, you. Just, I mean, you could have him someone who is two generations removed and grew up in New York, right. you know, or something. And that would work pretty much the same. He would just look the part. So, uh, and then people would make all kinds of assumptions about him. He's like, dude, I, I grew up here. What are you right. like? Right. And, and then that way he would still be learning about this strange culture he gets, you know, thrown into and he would still be an outsider. Um, so, you know, I, I just think it's a missed opportunity. I'm sure it's still going to be great because I love Danny Rand, even if he's white, um, cause he's white and everything else. Uh, but I definitely think that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I think that he, uh, it would have been great because also so far in this kind of universe, the only Asian characters we have are bad guys. So it would have been nice to in the uh, Netflix universe. In yes. the Netflix, yes, sorry, the not Netflix universe, universe, universe Netflix. is very um, Asian racist. I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot to be said for how all the the Asian characters are bad. Um, yeah. so, so it would have been nice yeah. to have one fighting like on Daredevil's side, on Matt's side against, you know, yeah. whatever's coming. But. Uh, but, you know, that said, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does have a lot of great um, right. Asian does. representation. Asian um, female representation. Yeah, even, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but, so, uh, yeah. yeah, and then Defenders we know next to nothing about. Yeah, just that it's going to be a thing. Um, I'm, yeah, uh, it's supposed to be eight episodes, we do know. And uh, and it's going to be uh, 2017 sometime. And it's going to have Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. Yes. Ma! So I'm really, if you think about it, the way that they're doing this, I, I mean, you know, we've had, well, by then we'll have had one season for each of those characters plus a second for Daredevil, right? Right. Um, that's that's a lot of TV to build up. And it really means that they can just focus on the team for this uh, and their interactions with each other uh, instead of having to actually introduce anybody's motivations or anything like that. It's like, no, you already know who these people are. And because it's a TV show, their supporting characters can actually be there and not completely ignored. Yes. Right. Like 
uh, Foggy, assuming him and Daredevil are cool at that point, can, you know, be in an episode for 10 minutes or whatever and it not feel out of place. Yeah, and some of the supporting characters are supporting across multiple of like them. Like Claire. Claire. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's your name? The lawyer, who I've already forgotten the name of. Um, Jerry. The, Jerry, yes. Hogarth. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure she will play a part in The Defenders. Like, she's got to. She's, I mean, somehow she's got to be, she is a lawyer. Daredevil's a lawyer. That's got to be the thing. And then somehow, you know, Danny, Danny is the odd man out because he is the rich one. Right. Yeah. So how does he get down to the street level and meet these people? And it could be through Hogarth or, you know, happenstance meeting with Luke Cage and a beautiful bromance blossoming. You know, I, I, who knows? Yeah. So um, then after that's going to be the Punisher, which is I, I mean, I don't know what to expect. I'm hopeful that he will be as good as a main character as he was as a supporting character. Yeah, I'm not Um, sure how that's going to go, but cautiously optimistic. Because as someone who will always think the Punisher is wrong, um, (laughs) I don't know how how that's going to get me to to buy in, right? Like, I was able to be sympathetic to him and really, really love him in in Daredevil, but still be like, yeah, but you're still wrong. And Matt's right. So um, most of the time, Matt's right. Sometimes both of you are wrong. um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, We'll see. We're going to have to create an interesting supporting cast for Punisher to make him a viable show. Yeah. Um, Because I don't think they have much room to make him question his own morality. Like, that just doesn't feel like it fits the character. Right. Right. So we'll see how that goes. Um, There's also... On that front, um, there was... What was the other... Uh, Marvel's Damage Control, which is supposed to be... Is that on, actually happening? I think... I don't think it's been officially canceled. I think it's supposed to be in the 2016 to 2017 series, season on ABC. Uh, and that would still be part of the MCU. So that that's the cleanup crew show, right? Yes, that would be uh, almost a sitcom-level cleanup crew show. So... If, if that happens, I really want to see how it turns out. Because it feels like they could do that on a pretty low budget and have a blast with it. Um, like, there should be a lot of humor in that if it is what, from the premise. Mm. But um, I don't think it's been canceled yet. So, um, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And, of course, I, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4. Yes. Um, and I guess we'll see how that, we'll see how that plays out. Sadly, um, no Peggy Carter Season 3. Oh, that's painful. Um, on the flip side, it does mean that Agent Carter's pretty easy to get the totality of on Blu-ray. That's true. Um, which I should probably do that. I own it all digitally. Uh, so far, I have not purchased any of these shows on on Blu-ray, and I haven't purchased any of them digitally because I've been able to watch them on Netflix or on Hulu. But uh, I have now canceled my Hulu subscription because they've dropped CBS, or excuse me, the CW. Um and so that was like almost all of the, I think agent Carter and agents of shield may have been the only two shows I was watching that weren't on the CW or about to be on the CD, CW since uh Supergirl is moving over there. Yeah. So, um, so there's just no reason for me to pay for Hulu anymore. Um, I'll probably just be able to watch agents of shield on, uh, on the Hulu website still. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I guess that's that's about it for Marvel TV. I, I'm looking forward to all of it. I'm hoping that it keeps coming at a decent clip. Uh, I, I always kind of go on internet blackout when the new uh, 
Netflix shows come on mm-hmm. because I want to watch them before people spoil it. Yep. So very excited to do that with Luke Cage. Uh, yeah. Any uh, last comments, Mandy? I love Marvel. That's it. <laughs> I like Marvel a lot. I really like their movies and their TV shows. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, and I wish that DC's current franchise would just, uh, current movie franchise would blow up so they could give their movie stuff to their TV people. Yeah. Because, we just don't talk about that right now. No. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, on that note, everybody, um, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at TrivCrucial. You can follow Mandy on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja. That's Brown underscore A-J-A-H. You can follow me at Auhim. That's A-U-H-I-M. And the website is TrivialCrucial.com. Uh, yeah. See you next time. <laughs>